Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Hope you all have had a terrific weekend. If you're in the foyer, come on in. We're going to get rolling. Excited to worship with you guys this morning. Hey, this is uh, the fifth uh, Sunday in July. This is our last acoustic service. And so we've got the band kind of pulled back, just two of us this morning. Um, it's been a real joy to lead you all um, throughout this month and, and being able to strip down these services a little bit. Um, so I, I hope you uh, have enjoyed the, the change of pace. Uh, this will be the last one for a little bit. We're, we'll still do acoustic services from time to time, but this is the last one for this month. Uh, then we'll get back to full band. I know some of you are really excited about that. Maybe, maybe not so much some others. Um, but we're going to start out with a song that, that we wrote, that Fellowship wrote. It's called Good to Me. Um, and the song is just a song about how God is good, that he's always good, that even in our sorrow, even in our sufferings, that he, his goodness doesn't change. He's with us through those things, through those hardships, and he's with us in the rejoicing too. Uh, God is unchanging, and that's good news for us. And so let's stand together this morning. Let's worship. And draw from the well that won't run dry to all who are thirsty. He's the source of life. The lost and bound and drink from the fountain where life is found. He's been good, so good to me. Yeah, he did. 
Ever blessing 
Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron, and I get to serve with the family ministry team here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And it's a good morning to be here, isn't it? It's a great morning. It's a great, well, there's people about right here that think it's a great morning. But that's all right. That's all right. It's a great, great morning to be here. Hey, I love being a part of Fellowship Fayetteville. It is a, it's a great place to be. I love seeing what God is doing, and I get a chance to see what God does in the lives of like birth to 18, kind of our kids and our students, and it's just amazing to see the life change that's happening. We actually get to celebrate some life change today with a baptism here in a little bit, um, but one of the things that we wanna do is we wanna help families love Jesus more, love him more than they did yesterday, great. Love him more than, kind of fill in the blank with whatever word you want to. We wanna help see kids and families love Jesus more than anything. And so one of the ways that we do that is we try and help provide tools that can help as we're teaching one another what it means to follow Jesus. And so we've developed a catechism. Now, some of y'all are going, oh, catechism, what is that? I don't know, that sounds weird. I've never really heard that before. Catechism is just, it comes from the Greek word meaning to teach, and it's just a style of teaching doctrine that is a question and answer format. And so this is a tool that we have, um, and they're available. You can grab them out in the information booth. They're 10 bucks, and each family just grab one of these and work through these questions. Like what my family's been doing is we'll just take one question a week, and we just memorize these. And so with kids, they begin to memorize these questions. Like, for instance, this one is, is there anything God cannot do? And then they respond with, God can do all things according to his character. And so there's about 48 questions in here that help teach doctrine and teach theology to our kids. And it's good for us to remember, too. And so um, those are available out there. It's a great tool to be able to just help teach these things to our kids. I want to invite y'all this fall, uh, as this summer, we've had a ton of kids coming with Fayette Kids, and this fall we expect to have a ton more kids coming, and it's an awesome thing to see kids come and worship uh, with us and worship Jesus, and so I want to invite y'all to be involved with what God's doing in Fayette Kids, and so you can scan this QR code, you can go to fellowshipfayetteville.org forward slash serve and fill out a serve form, let us know. We would love for you to come and help these kids and families love Jesus more. We need about 30 to 35 people in Fayette Kids, birth to um, sixth grade, to help provide a welcoming and a safe place for every kid that comes over on that end of the building. And so if you'd like to do that, please let us know. I'd love to get with you and tell you more about what that looks like and see how you can really make a difference in the lives of kids. There's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of stuff happening over the next few weeks. One of those is we're shifting our service times a little bit. So starting on August 13th, the service times will be 9 and 1045. And some of y'all are going, I thought that's what they already were. Hey, that's great. That's awesome. That's cool. Just keep showing up when you show up, and it'll be great. So we're shifting them a little bit, 9 and 1045. Um, that'll just help in the parking lot in between services, help kind of get some cars out so people have some, um, some spots to park. But just know that that's happening starting August 13th. Another really exciting thing that's happening coming August 20th and 27th is we're having some east side services. So at the Hill School over on the east side, it's the old Grace Church over there on Crossover. Um, we're having some services for our folks on the east side. And this is an opportunity to just gain some vision for what we would hope God can do over on the east side with just kind of a place where you can 
drive for like three minutes and get to church on those mornings, which that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. But it's just to cast vision for what God can do over on the east side in community and to worship. And so those are family services. There won't be any child care over there um, on those days. And so you get to all worship together as a family. And so we're asking everybody in the Butterfield Route and Asbel Leverett Parishes to sign up to come at nine o'clock and at 1045 all the rest of those. And so um, you guys, and we ask, there's a registration on our website just to sign up, just so we know how many people are coming. And so it's just an opportunity to worship over on the east side to pray for what God can do in that area of Fayetteville. And so we're just asking y'all to come join us over there. Well, hey, this is an exciting day. I would love to pray for us as we continue in worship. So let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us and thank you that we get a chance to be here. We get a chance to worship you. God, as we sing joyful, joyful, God, you fill us with your joy. And so as we continue to worship, may we be filled with your joy. As you speak to us through your word, Father, may that bring us joy that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Church, if you're able to, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let's reflect on that and let's continue to sing this morning. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the Oh God, how 
stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father I restore. In the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now the gospel truth of all shall not kneel, shall not faint. By His blood and in His name, in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. church to reflect on the this fact that we do in fact need this king of kings because we're sinful fallen people so let's confess as a body heavenly father have mercy on us we have not loved you as you deserve we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we have not obeyed you as we should lord forgive us our sin we are in need those of us in Christ who have received that Savior, the King of Kings that we just sang about. He put on flesh and he came and he bore the cross for our sins. It's paid for in full. We believe in his life, death, and his resurrection. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him we have forgiveness of sin. In him we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we're going to celebrate that good news, that gospel with baptism this morning. Well, everybody, this is Deva. And Deva is a follower of Jesus. And so it's just exciting that we together get to confess our need for Jesus and that we see he's our savior. And Dave is here because she wants you guys to know that she is a follower of Jesus, that she has seen him change her life. And um, she is, it's fitting that we sang joyful, joyful earlier because she is full of joy. And I know that God is gonna use her and the joy that he's placed inside of her because the Holy Spirit living within her, he's gonna use that to bring other people to himself. And so that's really exciting. So Deva, you're telling me and all these people that you've asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And you wanna be obedient to him by being baptized here today. Well, hey, I would love to pray for you. Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us. And God, I'm grateful for Deva and the fact that she loves you and she wants to follow you. And I'm grateful that she has given her life to you. And so, uh, Jesus, I pray, <clears throat> I pray that you would help her to know that you are with her and that you will never leave her or forsake her. And I, I'm excited to see the way that you're going to use her as she continues to, to learn and grow in her faith. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism.
raised to walk in the newness of life. Oh, man, I love it when we have a baptism. Man, that just, it's exciting. It's exciting to see a picture of life change. And that's happening all the time around here. We get to have a front row seat for what God is doing in so many people's lives, from our Fayette kids to our student ministries to right here in this room. That's what I love. You know what I hate? I hate it when it's my fault. I hate when something goes wrong. I hate when I find myself in a situation that's all messed up and I have to admit to myself, this is all my fault. I'm the one who created this. And we all have that friend, don't we? That nothing's ever their fault. We all have that friend that's always a victim. The comedian Jim Gaffigan, he says, all I did was eat abusively for 30 years and now I'm overweight? That doesn't seem fair. I relate, Jim, I relate. We all have that friend who won't admit the situation they're in is of their own making. We all have that friend who's always like, why am I always broke? Why am I always behind on my bills? And we don't say it, but we're thinking because you're always buying things you don't need with money you don't have, right? We all know that person. We all have a friend whose motto could be, why does this always happen to me? But what about when it's really not your fault? What about when things happen in our lives? It's not only not your fault, it's, it's nobody's fault. What about when we're trying to follow the Lord and it seems like bad things are coming our way? Job loss, health loss, relationship loss. We've all had a moment where we've said, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? We've all had a moment where we're surprised. And what we're going to see this morning is that Peter's going to tell us, don't be surprised. It's all part of life on this fallen planet. In fact, he's going to tell us these circumstances that come into our life that we don't want, that we didn't ask for, this suffering can actually be a blessing. So let's turn to it together. Turn to 1 Peter 
chapter 4, 1 Peter's near the end of your New Testament. If you want to just go to Revelation and start flipping back, you'll hit it in just a few pages. We're going to continue our study this morning of this letter that Peter wrote to this group of churches in what's now modern-day Turkey in the first century. Well, my name's Michael. I get to serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and here we are, as Ryan said, the last Sunday in July. And so my guess is that most of you, like me, I probably missed a Sunday or two this summer as we've been studying 1 Peter. So I thought we'd just do a quick review of what Peter has said leading up to our passage today. There's a a two-word phrase that he uses in the very first verse of the whole book that we've hit on just about every week, elect exile. Peter is saying, you're chosen, but you don't fit in. God has selected you to live life as an exile, a person living in a culture that's not really their own. And what we've been saying about this idea of elect exiles, and by the way, I'm talking to people who would say that you're a a follower of Jesus. If you're in the room with us this morning and you're not a Christ follower, we are so glad you're here. And virtually everything we're going to talk about this morning is going to be aimed at people who are following Jesus because this letter was written to people who are following Jesus. But my hope for those of you who are trying to figure some things out, who are seeking, that what you'll see this morning is that there's a really compelling reason for us to follow Jesus. Maybe it'll help you see why we believe and do the things we believe and that we do. But for those of you who are Christ followers, what he's saying here is that as elect exiles, we're called to be outrageous and attractive at the same time. This whole letter is about living in such a way that the culture around us is genuinely shocked at what we say and do, but they're simultaneously attracted because they see Christ in us. And so here's how we've seen Peter work through this in the letter. Peter has said, I want you to live a lifestyle that's countercultural. It doesn't fit in. You're exiles. And you do that in a counterintuitive way. You do it by actually submitting to authorities, even when that authority is unjust. And he says, if we do that, we'll be transformed through difficult circumstances as we follow Jesus together. Through the whole letter, Peter's been saying, our lives should look different as we submit to authorities, government authorities, workplace authorities, authority in the home as we submit to one another in marriage. And that if we go through the difficult things that that creates, we'll be formed into the image of Christ together in the context of community. And he's going to continue along that same line today. So let's look at it. First Peter chapter 4, we're beginning in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, this is the second time Peter's used the word beloved. The other was in chapter 2, verse 11. Your translation might say, dear friends. Both places, it marks a transition. For Peter, that's a, a, a word that indicates that he's, he's making a transition in the book. And in this case, he's transitioning into the close of the letter. Now, you might be thinking, this is the beginning of the close. We have today in two more weeks. We have a whole chapter ahead of us. Yes, Peter's a preacher. Just because he says in conclusion doesn't mean he's about to wrap it up. 
I got an amen on that. <laughs> Look at his final thoughts. Don't be surprised. Why does he need to tell us that? He needs to tell us that because we're always surprised. None of us expect bad things to come into our lives, especially in the context of following Jesus. None of us said, yeah, I knew when I decided to follow the Lord, this was going to hurt. We don't think that way. In fact, we tend to think the opposite. We tend to think, now that I'm on team Jesus, everything's going to fall into place for me. As a matter of fact, there's a whole industry devoted to that false teaching. There's a whole industry out there devoted to convincing people that if they have enough faith, they'll have health and happiness, and you guessed it, wealth. Let's be clear, fellowship, that is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, look at this verse. It teaches the exact opposite. Peter doesn't say, expect God's best and you'll receive it. He says, expect a fiery trial. Because notice he doesn't say if it comes. He says when. He says, don't be surprised. Instead, verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He says it twice. It's a good practice just in your own personal Bible study. Whenever you see a biblical author repeat something, make note of that. If you write in your Bible next to this verse, you might write the word rejoice. It's the key phrase for this whole section. When things you don't want, things you didn't ask for come into your life, Peter says, instead of being surprised, rejoice. Because what was the path that Jesus walked on our behalf? Suffering, pain, the road that Jesus walked to his being glorified went through the cross. So Peter says, rejoice, because that means you're walking the same path Jesus walked. And then when he repeats it, he's talking about in the future, he says, rejoice and be glad for when he's glorified. In other words, for when you see him face to face, when the glory of Jesus is revealed, Oh, you're going to be so glad you didn't give up. You didn't quit. And this is even more powerful when we remember who wrote this. We're going to spend a little more time on this next week. But for this morning, I want you to just think about Peter, the man who denied he even knew Jesus. The night he did that, it says he went out and wept bitterly. You know he never forgot that. Jesus was gracious and restored him. And he's saying here, take it from me. When you see the glorified Jesus, like I have, Peter's saying, you're gonna be so glad you hung in there during the time of suffering because it's gonna be so worth it. And I want us to notice something else in this verse. It's something we've observed before in this, in this uh, letter. Peter loves to put things together that don't go together. Maybe he was the guy who created this coffee and orange juice drink that one of our coffee shops in town has. He loves to put things together that don't belong together. We saw it in verse one, elect exile. That doesn't go together. 2.11, beloved sojourner. And now in our verse, suffering 
and glory. Again, if you write in your Bible, which I do, I think it's a great practice to help us unlock what's in the text. I want to encourage you, put a box around sufferings and put a box around glory. That's what I did in my Bible. That's why I asked them to do that on our slide. See, we tend to think of suffering as something to avoid and glory as something to seek. But Peter says, no, they actually go together. Suffering can lead to glory. That's how it works in God's economy and God's way of doing things. Look at verse 14. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, nobody likes to be insulted. I'll admit sometimes whether you're insulted or not depends on how you take something, how you receive it. Sometimes I'll meet someone that's really only seen me on the platform, and they'll say, you know, up close, you look different. <laughs> Is that an insult? I don't know. I don't know how to take that. One that was definitely an insult was the lady, this really happened, who told me I look better on the podcast. Now, that's like saying I have a face made for radio. Come on, that's an insult. <laughs> and this, there was a, another guy, a friend of mine, who said, you know what I like about your preaching? It's not entertaining. I was like... Thanks, I think. Peter says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. But notice in this verse, Peter has shifted from a future blessing. Rejoice for the day when Jesus is glorified to the present, to the now. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying, when we suffer for our faith, the Holy Spirit's resting on us. And what more could we want than to have the very Spirit of God at work in our lives? So get your pen back out. We're going to draw some more boxes. I want us to put a box around insulted and blessed. You see what he's doing? Two things that don't go together. When someone tells me I look like the before picture in a diet ad, I don't feel blessed. But if somebody puts me down because of my faith, if somebody mocks me for following Jesus, Peter says, oh, that's actually a blessing. Peter's quick to point out, make sure your suffering is because of your faith in Christ. Make sure you're suffering for Jesus and not because of your own bad behavior. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Peter says, you're not bringing glory to God if you're suffering because of your own bad decisions. That's what I was talking about in our intro if we suffer because of something we've done wrong, that's not glorifying to God. I can't cry out to God, how could this happen to me when I get a speeding ticket because I know I was speeding? God's not glorified as I suffer paying that fine. I had that coming. But look at this list. It's kind of interesting. I mean, he starts off with murderer. Yeah, we get that. God's not glorified when someone's punished for killing someone. That probably doesn't apply to most of us. And then there's thief. Still pretty serious. 
considered by most people in society to be wrong. It's in the Ten Commandments. And then there's evildoer. That sounds bad, doesn't it? It's pretty broad. I doubt if any of us have evildoer in our LinkedIn profile. But then he says, there is a meddler. Does that go with the rest of that list? A meddler. What does that even mean? It seems like it doesn't belong. And, and the way it's rendered in the Greek, meddler is kind of set apart, like emphasized. Now, I don't know about y'all, but there's one thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word meddling. It's at the end of every episode. They unmask the monster on Scooby-Doo. And the culprit says, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Somehow I don't think that's what Peter has in mind. So what is Peter thinking of? Well, I don't know for sure why Peter puts meddler in the same list as murderer, thief, and evildoer. But I do think he's given us a hint, and it's back in chapter 3, verse 15. It's a verse many of you have memorized. If you haven't, I encourage you to. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. It's good advice. When I see meddler here, it makes me wonder if there were people in these churches that he's writing to who were struggling with the gentleness and respect part of it. See, a meddler is someone who sticks their nose in where it doesn't belong. And so I wonder, were there some people in these churches who were meddling in the affairs of others, who were sticking their nose in where it didn't belong, maybe within the church or, or maybe even with people outside the church? Maybe they were interfering inappropriately in other people's lives and relationships. Maybe they were doing more harm than good for the kingdom by telling people how they should live. Maybe they were tactless. Maybe they're what my kids would call cringy. Maybe we would even agree with what they were saying, but we wouldn't like how they were saying it. You've probably seen this. People that you like, what they stand for, but the way they do it, you're saying to yourself, you're doing more harm to the kingdom than good. You're making it harder for the gospel to advance. I think my version of this would be what I always told my kids as they were learning to share their faith. Let the gospel be offensive. You don't be offensive. See, the gospel message is offensive enough in Peter's culture and in ours. So we gotta be kind and winsome with it rather than being a meddler. Peter says, Suffer for Christ, not for meddling where you don't belong, not for being in other people's business. Verse 16 begins with yet, yet, if anyone suffers for Christ, let him not be ashamed. I'm sorry, let if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, we're used to the word Christian. It's been around for 2,000 years. But when Peter uses it here, it's a relatively new term. In fact, it only appears in the New Testament three times. But when we look at extra-biblical literature from the time, especially letters 
written by Roman authorities to one another, we know that the word Christian was meant as an insult. It was meant to mock those who followed Jesus. And Peter just owns it here. I don't mean owns it like Taylor Swift, trademark Swifties. She actually did that. No, I mean, he owns it like he's saying, if you want to insult me by saying that I'm so much like Christ that you're going to call me by his name, I'm not ashamed of that. In fact, I'll glorify God in that. All right, so let's draw a couple more boxes. Draw a box around suffers and glorify. Again, he's linking these two things together that we don't normally associate with each other. And if you pull back, if you've been marking with me and look at the whole passage, look what we have. Sufferings, glory, insulted, blessed, suffers, glorify. Peter is building a case that when we suffer for the right reasons, when we suffer for following Jesus, it's actually a blessing. So Peter's calling us to lean in to the gospel Instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Peter calls us instead to say, you know what? Jesus suffered on my behalf. Jesus died the death that I deserved. Jesus rose and defeated sin. That's the gospel message. And so now I can rejoice in anything that comes my way because I know that because of what he accomplished on my behalf, one day I'm gonna see him face to face. To put it simply, the gospel can give us joy in suffering. The suffering that we experience in our lives is not for nothing. God works in that space. Maybe you're in that place right now. And I want you to know there's a lot of people in this body of believers who will tell you they went through something really hard. Something they never want to go through again. And they'll tell you it was worth it because of what they learned about God. And they probably wouldn't have said that going in, and they might not have even said it in the middle of it. But to be closer to God, to know him in a new and powerful way, to be conformed to his image more closely, that's worth it. And that's what brings joy Clark brought this up a couple of weeks ago when he told us Peter's not just calling us to grit our teeth and get through it. He's talking about a real, deep, abiding joy that comes in those difficult times because God is near to us in those seasons. And that fiery trial we go through, it's designed to turn our face to the Lord and make us more like him. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The picture Peter's painting here reaches back to when he said we're living stones being built up into a house. Now he says it's the household of God, and he's bringing in this Old Testament idea of God's judgment. And I want us to spend just a moment on this because this can get confusing 
for us. Garland and I discussed this extensively on Sermon Notes this week, our podcast. So if we don't say enough about it in here, I would encourage you, check out Sermon Notes. But look what he says. The time of judgment has come and it begins with us. The judgment begins with believers. And our first thought is, wait a minute. I didn't think I was in for judgment. I thought Jesus was judged on my behalf. I didn't think believers were going to be judged. And you're right. If we're talking about the final judgment, the New Testament authors are unanimous in saying believers will not face the final judgment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We won't face final judgment. But Peter and Paul both write about a judgment that we will face. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that our works will be revealed by fire. Paul says our obedience will be rewarded. But the things we did that were disobedient, the things that weren't what God wanted for us, they'll be burned up. He calls it hay, wood, and stubble. But here's the key. He says we will be saved. So our eternal destiny is sure, but between now and then, our obedience matters. And Peter's expanding on that idea of a refining fire, a fire that burns away the impurities in our life and reveals the gold and silver, the pure, precious metal of our faith. And he says, it's already begun. He says, that's the fiery trials we're enduring now. But look where he goes with this. He says, what about those, the end of 17, who do not obey the gospel of God? What about those who reject the free offer of salvation? Believers, that's a question that should pierce our hearts. See, first of all, every believer who's walked through something hard, and I'm talking about something really hard, losing a loved one, receiving a devastating health diagnosis, having a close relationship broken. We all say the same thing. We all say, I don't know how I'd get through this without my faith in the Lord. And we all follow that up with the same thing. I was talking to my friend Caleb right before the service, and we were talking about a friend who's going through something really hard. And Caleb said, I don't know how people go through something like that without Jesus. That's what Peter's getting at. He says, you think your suffering, your enduring is hard? How much harder for those who are trying to get through this life without Jesus? That alone should break our hearts. Just the thought of people we know and care about, neighbors, co-workers, family members trying to navigate loss, job loss, health loss, relational loss without Christ. Peter says, as hard as these things are for you, and you have the church community, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Most importantly, you have the hope of an eternal future on the other side of this suffering. How much harder for those without any of those things? Oh, man, that should motivate us to share the good news with those people, to 
point them to Jesus. And in verse 18, he asks the question again. This time he says, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And he's asking that question for rhetorical effect, not because he doesn't know. Because the Bible is very clear. We don't like to think about it, much less talk about it. But it should break our heart. What will become of those who reject the gospel? Look with me at the book of 2 Thessalonians, a letter written by Paul. This is in verse 1. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, there it is again, the fire of judgment, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who, exact same words, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Look at verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, I don't believe in trying to scare people into conversion. Maybe that's part of your story, but I don't think generally that's a good way to win people to Christ. But I do think this passage should motivate us. Peter has asked us to consider the question, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? This is the answer. And we don't want this for anyone. And so when we, as believers, suffer, it should remind us that that's nothing compared to what people are going to go through who reject Christ, who reject the offer of salvation through his death and resurrection. And so after all this talk about suffering in the book of 1 Peter, here's what we can conclude. The gospel can give us joy in suffering, and our suffering motivates us to share the good news. The good news that Jesus died in our place and that through his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. And so now, as followers of Jesus, we rejoice in our suffering because we know, as one writer said, suffering and glory meet in the person of Jesus. But Peter's also reminding us it's not just about us. This suffering should motivate us to share this gospel message with those who don't know Christ. Because of what we ourselves have already experienced, the difference it's making in our lives right now, we should want them to have that. And because of what it will mean for their eternal future. It should break our hearts to think about anyone, and I mean anyone, stepping into eternity without Christ, into eternal destruction and separation from the Lord. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do when these fiery trials come our way? Well, Peter puts it simply, live with trust. He says, therefore, he's summing up what's come in the verses before. Therefore, here's a summary and an application. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If it's God's plan for us to endure some hard things, we're gonna trust him. We're gonna trust him with our soul, that deepest part of ourselves, that 
part of ourselves that makes us who we are, that part of us that reacts to the divine, that part of us that lives forever. We're going to entrust that to the one who created us, who gave us a soul to begin with. We're going to entrust it to the one who proved forever beyond a shadow of a doubt how he feels about us when he went to the cross. Even on the hardest of days, even when the trial seems to stretch on and on, we trust him. And because we trust him, we can keep doing good. We can keep obeying. We can keep proclaiming. We can keep serving. We can keep pointing people to Jesus. And when we do that, we'll experience joy. Not happiness, but real, true joy. The joy that comes from knowing him and walking with him and experiencing him. Jesus suffered so that we could be part of his family. And it may be that in our own suffering, when we go through something we didn't ask for and we don't want, we actually experience a closer relationship with him. It could be that that turns something we didn't want into something we wouldn't trade for anything. Hey, let's pray. Well, Father, if it is your will that we suffer, help us to suffer with joy that's found only in you. Help us to continue doing good. And Lord, make all of us messengers of hope and life in the gospel. Help us point people to you because you alone are worth it. Let's respond in worship. Let's stand together and let's sing this. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow turning with thee.
suffering, whatever joys that we have, whatever, whatever it may be for you, we can leave with confidence that Christ has conquered the grave, that Yahweh is in control, and he is good, so we can rest in that. The prayer room is available through the doors on your right. If you'd like to pray with someone, there's communion available in there as well. We'll see you next week. Have a great week of worship.